This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. This episode of Talk About Gay Sex is sponsored by Pure for Men. Bottom with confidence. For more information, go to pureformen.com. That's pureformen.com. Steve Rodriguez here with Talk About Gay Sex. Um, really excited to talk to author um, Christopher Zeisscheg. Did I say that right, Christopher? Yeah, pretty much. Christopher Zeisscheg. So, yes. And for many of you out there, you might know him um, by his former name, uh, Danny Wild. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. And congratulations. Um, actually, as when this podcast comes out tomorrow, um, I believe it's the release of your brand new book, uh, Body to Job, correct? That's correct. Yeah, February 13th. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I, I finished the book last night and I have to say it's a it's a definite um, intriguing page turner um, by all means. <laughs> Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, and it's your life, and there's so many, um, <laughs> partly. But just to kind of um, explain to people, you um, did. Uh, you were an adult film porn actor for eight years, correct? Yeah, uh, about eight years. And during, and so a lot of this account is kind of how you got into porn during your your um, while going to film school and. Um, what school in Southern California did you go to? Um, well, I started out at UC Santa Cruz, like in the Bay Area, and then I graduated eventually from USC or like University of Southern California. That's what it's called. Okay, got it. Yeah. And um, the reason I think it's such a page turner is because your, your, your honesty and recounting, you know, for many of us, things that we read about or, or, you know, you really give us an insight to what it perhaps means to be a, an, a porn actor and, of course, you know, what what's going on in your life at that time, whether it's love or, and you have plenty of um, vivid stories. Um, this is your third book. What made you, uh, what made you want to write Body to Job? Well... <laughs> I think a few of the stories started a long time ago, maybe six or seven years ago as just essays that um, I was writing for a blog. I mean, they've all been edited and kind of updated, but um, I think in the midst of my porn career, uh, I felt like I was having these unusual experiences and, and I kind of wanted to document a few of them. And then years later when I had gotten out of it, um, I had, I had a good number of these like personal stories, um, but there were a lot of parts missing. And um, I had always told myself I didn't really want to write a memoir about porn until I was out. Um, right. And and now I'm out more or less. I mean, I, I guess I still edit some porn for people occasionally for work, but as a performer, I'm done. So um, I talked with my publisher about doing like a short story collection, but then we kind of decided on making it something more than that, which is, uh, so I had to go back and basically fill in all the gaps. And, uh, so it is a memoir, but it's, it's told in like this short story form and it kind of goes back and forth in time a little bit, but you start to piece together everything. I think when you 
when you kind of follow the characters and what I'm doing and so forth. Exactly. You definitely do. And, um, I do like the, the format of it. And I think that's one of the reasons it makes it such a page turner is that it seems, you know, you read, a, a, a clip here and there and it's, they're short enough that you're propelled to kind of go to the next, um, the next piece. Some of it in here though is also, um, f- fiction, um, parts of it that you've sort of, or maybe used pieces of your life and then dramatized? Yeah, a little bit towards, I would say in the last third, there are some stories that definitely veer out of, <laughs> out of reality. Um, part of the reason for doing that is, I guess you could say like I grew up really into like heavy metal music and horror and kind of that aesthetic, like kind of like a, an aesthetic of pessimism maybe. And I think when I, um, write or, or do my own sort of art, I guess, <laughs> if you want to call it that, um, whenever I kind of encounter, um, personal issues that are, are hard for me to deal with emotionally, I find it's maybe more fun or at least easier to externalize those experiences into um, something like when it's hard to write about it from an emotional context, I usually externalize that into maybe like these psychosexual or violent um, things. So, so a lot of the stuff that happens like after my retirement, the stories start still with something that was real, but then I kind of push them a little outside of reality to something that's maybe more extreme. Yeah, and we should talk a little bit about that because in school um, you had to pr- produce several short films. I'm assuming they were short films. Um, and many of them, as you say, I know you say in the book and right now that you're into heavy metal. But you also talk about um, black metal. Um, yeah. And there's, um, I think there's a point that I marked here on page 75 where you say, I was at the Glendale mall with my girlfriend. There was this skate shop with a rack full of mayhem t-shirts. They're like the one, they're like one of the most anti-establishment bands in the history of heavy metal. I thought if it's possible to find this shit in the mall, it's not so far fetched to think of a future where I could buy sweaters featuring decapitated goat heads at the local gap or purchase holiday music comps with Gorgoroth and Dying Fetus alongside Sheryl Crow at Starbucks, which I was laughing in my head because I could just envision that. And it seems to start um, your your filmmaking and these sort of, um, I guess, as you would say, anti-establishment and kind of, you know, but in reading in the book, it seemed like your professors really encouraged it and, and liked what you were producing. Yeah, I mean, they didn't really, I don't think they had a lot of context for it at that point. Um, I mean, this was like probably 2008, 2009, uh, when I was making that stuff. <laughs> I don't even, they, some of those films may be online, like on YouTube, but I don't exactly know where to find them. Um, yeah, I mean, I think since then, a lot of that stuff has become even more mainstream. Like, I know like NPR does like reviews of black metal bands now. And oh, it's, cool. I don't know, the the internet has kind of like removed the ability to actually be underground in, in any way, I think. Um, but that's just been kind of an aesthetic I've always uh, held on to. And 
I think like for, for a lot of young men in particular, like heavy metal and these kind of like very aggressive theatrical performative types of works are, are interesting when you're growing up and like you're, you seem angry or like need to rebel against something, but don't necessarily have anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Um, one of the things that you talk about in the book and kind of, it comes up at different times. Um, well, certainly how you kind of made sense of porn for you, how it worked for you, how it made sense. Um, in one of them, you talk about modeling and living in LA. I used to live in LA and I, I know every, it seems at, when, you know, certainly when you're trying to make it and using air quotes that everyone's a model or, or in many cases, an actor. Um, right. You talk about, on I think it's on page 88, a, f- a photographer once requested that I drive an hour to meet him at, at his apartment. He asked me to bring a few polo shirts. I was poor, but didn't want to disappoint him. So I brought something striped and collared at an outlet store. And later in the, um, you say, the man jerked me off until I came and then took some more pictures. After several minutes, he sent me on my way. There was no payment involved. It was supposed to be a trade shoot. I received two pictures in my email. Each bore huge semi-transparent watermarks of the photographer's contact information. And then you say, I quickly learned what it meant to be an amateur model. Just as quickly, I lost all interest. Porn felt like the better way to go. The more I was paid, the less I was promised fame. The only thing on the menu was my swollen dick and a paycheck. And um, it... It struck me just because I know, you know, many, I don't know how it is currently, but people, you know, especially during Craigslist, you know, era that, you know, people would say, oh, looking for a model and you would, you could find yourself driving, you know, all the way to Orange County for what seemingly you thought was a serious job. And then it turned out to be someone's jerk off thing can you talk a little bit about that just how the (laughs) disillusionment well i think this is what kind of got me into porn or at least comfortable with porn was you know i was when i was 19 before i had done any sort of sex scene um i was just looking for anything to get me through school and i applied for like all the normal types of jobs that you could apply for at that time like trying to be a barista or like work at some right. store like bookstore but i also went on craigslist so this was like 2005 2006 and i um yeah i looked at the miscellaneous gig section and they used to throw all the like the sex stuff in there but also all the the photography and modeling gigs that were not and this is not what i would consider like the actual modeling industry. This is like model mayhem type of right, shit. Right. Which which uh for for young women that's like meeting like sleazy hetero guys and for young men that's usually meeting like sleazy gay guys who just wanna like take your picture, but they always want you to get hard eventually and I would say a third of them like either asked to like suck my dick or ended up sucking my dick or I don't I mean, you know. And <laughs> that's just uh that's just what happened um i like in that particular case (laughs) i just felt like an idiot but you know sometimes they pay me more and by the time 
that happened a few times. It was like when I saw an ad for a porn job, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's interesting because I mean, now this was several years ago for you and, um, you know, with current issues that are really on the table with, you know, all the sexual assault charges that are going around and, you know, even within um, the LGBT world as well. I'm just curious, do you think this kind of um, luring of certain of models still are people, do you think that people are like maybe thinking twice about engaging <laughs> in these things now just because of what's going on kind of currently? I would imagine so. Like, you know, I mean, this is, this was a long time ago for me and I'm a bit older now. Like I'm in my early thirties and not trying to do that type of thing anymore. Um, I would assume that those types of photographers are a little bit, um, less likely to pull that shit because right. like anyone can call you out now. Uh, right. I mean, like, I don't know what to say. I, I specifically tried not to like put anyone's name in this stuff. Cause even though like I wasn't super happy about that, like, I don't know, it didn't ruin my life necessarily. Right, you know? right. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, I think most young people when they move to like New York or, or LA and they try to be an actor or a model, like they'll encounter something like that. It seems pretty typical, unfortunately. Right. And you got to write a book so you can kind of get it off your chest <laughs> yeah. if, if you did have any issues with it. So, um, yeah. I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, do you still, I think I've read that you're bisexual. Is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we were to, if we we're gonna go with labels, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird to talk about now. I, I mean, it's not weird. I, I don't really care. Um, but I think at a certain point in my life, I was very interested in, in taking on that identity or taking on a queer identity. And now, when I look back at my life uh, and my my sexual life, um, you know, I, I predominantly dated women. Um, at least in the long term. And, and I had like short relationships with guys and I've had sex with a lot of guys. Um, but we've, we're kind of entered this era in which like mainstream media is really tackling with a lot of identity issues and trying to give like a voice to, to marginalized people. And when I say things like I'm bisexual or queer, but like I'm dating a woman, I just feel kind of silly. Like, like I don't need to be a mouthpiece for like the LGBT community right. if I'm living like a, a relatively like heteronormative life. Do you know what I mean? I do. And one of the reasons I also bring it up is um, sometimes I think bisexualities that the ones I've talked to, they, um, people either want to marginalize. Oh, you're not really gay. I mean, you're not really bisexual. You're just gay, or it's or it's a you know, sometimes I don't, when it comes to things like LGBT, the B doesn't seem to get its due process enough, I think. And that's sometimes why, you know, it could be good to talk about it. But I mean, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue talking about it. I mean, you'll see in the book, like, I did a handful of gay scenes, and then I found out very shortly thereafter, the porn industry is kind of segregated for men specifically. Right. Um, so I had to kind of make a choice and because I was dating a woman at the time, I just ended up 
getting more into straight porn. And then, um, you know, I dabbled back and forth a little bit, but all these kind of uh, issues came up, which which kind of prevented me from being in both. Um, I wouldn't have had an issue if performing more on both sides. It's just like, it's, a, it's an industry thing. You can't, you'll get blacklisted, for, at least from straight porn. So I don't know. Right, right. Well, speaking of loves and people that you um, have dated, you vividly recount many, um, three in particular women that you date throughout the book. And they're all very, um, you know, you entitle them all loves. And each one of them, um, I say riveting because it's, they sometimes take a turn that's often dramatic. Um, I'm thinking of um, Mila, or the one that's referenced. I think she's the second one that you write about. And you find yourself in Ibiza, and it's one of the first time you've been to Europe. And she's also, I should say, all of these three um, that you date or recount were all in the adult industry as well, correct? That's correct. So, um, some of them, I think, you know, drugs are related and they take a turn for the worse or they bring up issues um, of jealousy that maybe sometimes people don't associate with porn actors because, you know, they might think, oh, well, you know, you sleep with other people. I think there's a a point in one of your um, chapters where you're talking to some people on one of your film sets and you're trying to say, yeah, I'm basically married myself with my girlfriend and the other two look at you. It's like, but you do porn. That's not the same thing. And it's like, they don't almost take it seriously. Um, Right. Yeah. So did you find, was it, I guess what I'm trying to ask here is that with these three loves that you recount, um, was it sort of a way, not just that they were true, but that you were trying to also show a different side that, you know, porn actors are real people too and have real relationships and yeah i mean i mean there's two things going on one is yes in in talking to most people outside of the industry i think one of the questions that always comes up is like how do you date while doing porn or how do you date while doing sex work um and also for me i think that was maybe one of the struggles that came up, uh, you know, again and again, like I like being in a kind of emotionally monogamous relationship. And I, and as you said, I had kind of three of those throughout my career, but, um, obviously we were both having sex with plenty of other people. And, uh, while intellectually speaking, I was fine with that and they were, you know, fine with that. At least they said, so, you know, every, relationship I think encounters kind of a jealousy and and you have to set your own boundaries when you have something like if you have an open relationship or if you have a relationship within porn where these things aren't as black and white because you know you can say like oh I'm going to go off and have sex for work and that doesn't mean anything but you always like you have to kind of form crushes on people to to get through your work sometimes at least or, or it ends up happening And, um, I think, yeah, I wanted to talk about kind of like how I deal with that when I see it happening in front of my face, um, and like kind of get 
jealous. I don't know. I mean, it happened right. a number of times and, <laughs> and it happened for my partners too, um, towards me. So I, I think it's like an experience that most people don't go through outside of the, the strict bounds of like you're cheating or something. You know what I mean? Right. Where it's like in porn, it may be like, this is supposed to be okay within the context of a relationship, but still someone's upset and you ha- you have to kind of negotiate that or, or you fucking fall apart. Right. Right. Um, part of, uh, ways that you sort of segued out of porn or maybe in conjunction with porn was, um, doing like say Skype calls with different people, um, oftentimes men or where, you know, maybe they, you would be jacking off and, or even various requests where people wanted, um, I think you say a couple of times people would pay you a thousand dollars to send your semen in a condom. And did you, do you find that, um, any of these moments did they desensitize you at all or it was just another day, another way to make money and you could kind of separate that? Oh, I don't know if the camming stuff desensitized me. I mean, I guess that's something I even dabble with a little bit these days. Um, yeah, it is easier for me. I, so like, so I kind of break up my, my sex work experience into like porn, which is, what I feel is performative. Like it's having sex with someone who's also paid to have sex. And then there's kind of the other types of sex work in which an individual pays me specifically for an experience. And that's always different. And, um, the sort of like hustling stuff, uh, which where it's like in real life, I feel like was hard for me because it involves a lot of like emotional labor. Um, right. The, the camming, it depends. Like there's one sort of, sort of long-term cam relationship I recount in the book, which was with a guy that was like actually a couple of years younger than me. And, um, I think in retrospect, uh, he was like autistic or something, but he, you know, he was, he had a Damien? lot of trouble, like, or the yeah, Damien in yeah, the story. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and, you know, we, for a certain period of months, would, like, talk on a very regular basis, like, multiple nights a week. And at first, I would do, like, these kind of shows for him. But then he, like, kind of at least claimed to fall in love with me. And uh, that was a really weird experience because I I didn't really, like, care about him at all at, at the beginning. And, and then as it went on, it's not like I developed this emotionless, like, uh, romantic interest in him, but because we'd spent so much time communicating, like I felt bad and I felt like kind of bad in the way that I facilitated that. Right. Because I don't know, in my head, it was just like, I'm always just kind of putting on a show. So like if he would say certain things that, that seemed to uh, suggest like an emotional attachment, I would kind of go along with it for the duration of like a paid session. But um, when that got more extreme, I had to kind of like, break it down and stop but then he didn't seem to understand and that was that was difficult to break off um just because like not to break off but i felt bad in doing that um i don't know right right there's other um stories in the book of of that go along this route of i think there's another man in the in the book 
he's Indian and he ultimately um, I guess he he wants he's a he has a lot of money and obviously he yeah. and he's an artist that's made a lot of money on his paintings he then offers you money and he's yeah. he's good for it which is and a lot of money and ultimately it's because he believes in wanting to help your career you're we should also mention um you're a musician as well correct i am i mean not professionally but I, yeah I have at like least a band at that time yeah yeah and okay. so he at one point i think he flies you out um to well he's in india but then he, all of a sudden he's in um Columbia and you fly out there. Um, right. That story was, and, and then you end up at this, was that whole story true? Like, and then you're in this mansion and, uh, so a lot of that is true, but I kind of like, that's one of the stories that does break at one point. Maybe towards obviously the end. The end of that story is yeah. extremely violent and right. that's not true, but I kind of don't, want to say exactly no, where don't that tell, yeah, into fiction. Don't, okay. don't tell us that. We'll let people read it. Um, I, I, I was, I don't even know what I'm asking in this question, but it's, it was so like, this is audience. One of the times that you will be turning the pages because all of a sudden you find yourself in Bogota and Colombia. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's really like, you know, mesmerizing story that kind of stuck with me. And so maybe we'll just leave it at that for that one. Um, but there's another, yeah. yeah, there's another character or person that comes in, um, Alexander that really just offers, he's obviously, um, infatuated with you and you're sort of at this point struggling financially and he offers a room in his place. Um, right. And really at the dinner, um, you know, you, you know, I'm sh you were asking basically, okay, what, what does this mean? What do I have to do? And nothing's really ever for free for the most part. And I think you, he, this Alexander explains that, well, you know, for the room, I don't want to pay for sexual services because, you know, he didn't like how that, what that would mean for him. But if he could, if you could just sort of be with him sexually, that could be a good exchange. And how long did you live there? I'm just curious. How long was that time frame? That in real life, that wasn't very long. I, I ended up not, um, I felt like that was really strange for me. I had a relationship with, I mean, that, that person is kind of an amalgamation of like, two different people. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but this sort of living in his house for free, I don't remember exactly how long it was, but I, yeah, I, it's like when the terms are not defined really, but like someone obviously wants your company. That's kind of what I meant by the, the in real life, like emotional labor type of stuff. Um, it's true. And I think that's really what I was trying to get to. And, and one of the points of that was, you're right, when there is no ex a, a clear cut exchange, it's almost easier when it's like, okay, f you know, for $10 an hour, you make, a, you know, a cappuccino and it's very clear cut right. and you have a, a handbook <laughs> on rules and regulations <laughs> and time to show up and time to clock out. And in this sort of situations, in some ways, as you write, it's, it's, it's great because 
it sort of opens the mind up to maybe other ways to like, not everything needs to be so clear cut at times. And, you know, if, if, if everyone's, if you could satisfy him and you get a room, it's on paper, it does, or in theory, it does sound great, but I can also see where lines can get skewed and it can be, like you said, a heavy burden in many ways. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt. I mean, like like with all of those types of situations, I feel like the sex is really the easiest part. But I don't feel that that's entirely what what those people want. By those people, I mean like John's and that right. guy in particular. I I kind of I don't know if that conversation went down exactly like that, but I do remember him saying more or less that he didn't like the act of asking for sex in exchange for money even though that's kind of what he wanted, but it felt like bad to him to have to ask for that on a regular basis. Right. So he kind of wanted a situation in which I would be compensated and he would, we would just do, we would just have sex kind of whenever he wanted. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I got it. Yeah. Hey guys, Steve Rodriguez here, host of talk about gay sex, letting you in on a little secret. Well, before I head out on a date or a night out on the town, I make sure I'm ready and truly clean by taking Pure for Men. The daily supplement Pure for Men is an all-natural supplement made up of a proprietary fiber blend consisting of psyllium husk, chia seed, and flaxseed, all packed together in a vegan-friendly capsule. I drink plenty of water throughout the day, along with Pure for Men, and I know I can bottom with confidence. So what are you waiting for, bottoms? Keep your runway clear for landing and order your bottle of Pure for Men now. Visit pureformen.com and stay ready, like me. Um, I'm just wondering, on the sort of as we near the end of this, I wanted to ask the the last chapter, I think it's the last chapter, on the moral imperative to commodify our sexual suffering. You, you right here, it's from 2006 to 2015, so somewhat of a summary. I'm, it, could you just explain um, some of the quotes by the assistant narrator? On, sure. Which, do you have a particular one? Well, well, one of them I want to ask because I think it's a true statement and, I, and it would speak to a larger issue of when um, somebody writes, you've heard of the website Pornhub. It's owned by an international yeah. corporation called MindGeek. They used to be called Manwin, whether they were developing a strategy to make free, mostly pirated porn sites the new normal. Employers were paid to rip DVDs and upload pirated content faster than any porn studio could send out their DMCA notices. MindGeek single-handedly caused the collapse of the pay-for-porn model of business, kind of like how Napster killed the music industry. Except Napster did its damage and then disappeared. MindGeek went on to buy out every financially gutted porn studio until it resembled a production distribution monopoly. MindGeek is browsers. MindGeek is Elegant Angel. MindGeek is Men.com. MindGeek is Pornhub. You get the point. And that's quoted, I guess, as the assistant narrator. Um, First of all, that's a a huge statement that I think will... will, um, You know, I don't think anybody's confused of how the porn industry has changed and how nowadays, you know, we did on the show last week... um, Porn actors were talking about how, 
you know, there's not as much exclusivity anymore, and how you can get your, so much of your porn for free on on Pornhub.、Um, so it's this kind of just puts it into words a little bit more of the reality of of what this company has done.、Uh, yeah. So the pirated part of Pornhub is. Not as true anymore, but that that is definitely how it started.、Um, I don't know that a lot of people know that, but basically, the the paragraph I wrote there, it's in my own words. It's kind of simplified, but that is true. Back in two thousand seven, I believe,、uh, when when kind of the tube sites were first coming onto the market,、um, yeah, all of that content was pirated porn from from studios that were that operated off like a A subscription site, right? Right. And so the、Or、porn、DVDs. industry started. Yeah, and the porn industry started to tank、uh, really dramatically, and, and that kind of corresponded to the housing crash,、right. housing market crash, like in two thousand eight. Um, and <laughs> since then, Pornhub has kind of become like de facto porn. Like most people, I don't think Google porn anymore. They like they go to Pornhub. And they type in what they want, right? Right. I think that's yeah. So, in the past three years, maybe、um, I think studios have kind of come to terms with that, and so there's a new business model, which is essentially、uh, studios will submit like shorter clips to and get like a free banner ad, and hope that somebody clicks on that to actually go to their website and pay for it. And then Pornhub finally decided to do、um, something similar to like the YouTube model of business. So it actually is sort of in performers' favor these days if they're savvy with、uh, production and post-production, like video production and post-production. So if you're a performer now, I think really the way to make money is not to perform. For other people, like I think those when you perform for a big studio, it's more like an advertisement for you, so that you can then shoot your own amateur content, and now you have to like upload it to Pornhub and to all these clip sites, and that hopefully all together that will make up your income. Like if you do the OnlyFans and the, I was going to say OnlyFans, yeah, for say yeah, because now um in go ahead yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, like, there's not enough work anymore for the major studios to go around to all the performers. There are probably like a handful of what we consider porn stars now who I think work all the time, and then there's everyone else who gets a scene here and there. And then, you know, if they want to make a living from porn, they really have to.、Uh, they have to make it more of their life. They have to shoot content with people, and they have to edit it and upload it to all these platforms. Right, right, and、um, and I think that's why so many people now can you can create your own fans. That sites like OnlyFans, and、um, you're are you on any of those? Yeah, I actually do. I have an OnlyFans. I started about six months ago because I was managing a couple of other performers, and I saw that you know it was making them a little bit of money here and there. So I only do like solo content on there.、Um, I'm basically retired, so I'm I'm in a monogamous relationship right now, and I don't want to be fucking all these people just for the sake of、uh, porn. But、Wait. yeah, if you happen to want to see me jerk off or shove things in my ass, you can join my OnlyFans. Cool. We should tell people where where would they go. Oh,、um, well, if you go on my. 
Twitter account, which is like twitter.com slash Danny Wild, and that's spelled D-A-N-N-Y-W-Y-L-D-E. Um, you'll see, I don't know, if anyone's familiar with OnlyFans, it's kind of fucking spammy, but that's the way we make money now. It's that everyone, every time someone signs up, it says like, you've just got a new fan and you can click on that link. And um, I think mine is like 10 bucks a month and it updates like every day with either a, a photo or a short video. Oh, cool. Very cool. Um, check that out. Well, I want to thank you. First of all, so the book um, is called Body to Jaw by Christopher Zeisscheg, a.k.a. Danny yeah. Wild. And I know I just fucked that up. Sorry, Christopher. Um, people can get this on Amazon, I'm assuming? or Yeah, you can get it on Amazon, but I think you can get it like at any place that sells books. And if it's cool. not at your local bookstore, you can at least order it. Like The publisher has pretty decent distribution, so it's supposed to land in bookstores tomorrow. I don't know if that's actually true but i hope so cool well congratulations i loved the book it was it was um definitely a huge page turner insightful and very honest um, thank you so much absolutely. absolutely well i want to thank you so much for um, being on the show and again people can follow you is it um remind people one more time on twitter yeah, um, on Twitter, it's just at Danny Wild. I'm also on Instagram at, at Danny Wild. Again, you spell that D-A-N-N-Y-W-Y-L-D-E. Um, you can go to my website, which is ChristopherZyshig.com, but I, f- I figured no one knows how to spell that. So let's, there are links spell on it both of my- <laughs> So Zyshig is spelled Z, like zebra, E-I-S-C-H-E-G-G. But there are links from my Twitter and Instagram. I think that's easier to get there. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, have a good day. Thank you too. Well, thanks once again, Christopher. Don't forget to get his book, Body to Job. And follow us. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TalkAboutGaySex at Talk About Gay Sex. You can also follow us on our Facebook page. Shout out to us. Go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Talk About Gay Sex. We will be posting clips from last week's live episode with Boomer Banks and Stephen Hart. And go to our website, talkaboutgaysex.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, where you can find out about upcoming episodes and our next live broadcast, which is March 7th. And in the meantime, continue having hot gay sex.